0: Mad Max Minute, where we analyze, scrutinize, and shoot crossbow bolts in, guys. Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 6, which begins with the dog getting comfortable in the back seat, and it ends with Max stepping out of the black-on-black. Good Monday morning, Julia.
1: Happy Monday.
0: (laughs) Back from our first weekend away we had a great time having brad on the podcast last friday yes very much brad for coming on with us there but now we are back with a new minute and this minute starts with a would you say communication between max and his dog
1: absolutely i love this max like gives the dog a look like consulting him about now now that the supercharger is is off they have to max has to be more skillful in his driving so like all right we're getting serious now yeah and the dog like applies in the affirmative and and goes to find a safe spot in the back
0: yeah it's almost like the dog understands okay it's gonna Max get rough needs to focus now it's not super easy so you go chill out in the back seat i'm gonna take care of business here
1: mm-hmm. i think it says something about how long they've been together
0: that they kind of have this unspoken connection yeah yeah
1: and a question that I that I had in my notes that we that actually never came up um, in minute five when the dog was introduced was: Do you think that the dog was a stray that kind of latched itself onto Max? So Max was like, "Okay, I guess so. Come along." Or do you think he was more of a purposeful acquisition, like Max got a dog, for the sake of companionship?
0: I like the idea of Max just finding the dog out in the wasteland and then the two of them just kind of connecting. Yeah. Because we know that Max is a dog guy.
1: Yes. I mean,
0: he and Jesse picked up a dog on the side of the road from some random guy across from a BP oil refinery. Right. Those are the kind of details that really stick with you when you stare at minutes (laughs) one at a time. You get the whole...
1: Frame by frame, that BP logo.
0: The whole image just splayed out before you. But I imagine bereft of... All companionship that when he came across a dog that was friendly towards him, that that is the sort of companion that he can really accept into his life. Yeah. Someone that he's willing to let in.
1: Yeah, because it's not not quite a human. You know, when when a dog dies, it's very sad. And it is an emotional trial for the people that loved him. Yeah. But it's a dog, not a human. Yeah. It's not the same thing. So if... If something happens to this dog, as opposed to he gets attached to another human and something happens to that human, like the dog level, maybe is something he can handle.
0: I feel like when it comes to pets, we as humans acknowledge that pets have a shorter lifespan than we do.
1: Yes, we expect them to go before us. Yeah.
0: So it's it's still upsetting like you said yeah. when a beloved pet passes, but the but whole time that you have it's soul crushing that pet,
1: like your wife and child.
0: Yeah, you kind of acknowledge, okay, I have this dog as my companion. I am going to outlive this dog because that's just how lifetimes work. Yeah. And so I feel like just that knowledge, that realization, would make it easier for him to say, okay, I need a companion. I need someone to travel with me. I acknowledge that this dog has a shorter lifespan than I do. It would be easier for me to accept this dog into my car and my life and take him along because, you know, I've already come to accept that, you know, someday we're going to go separate ways. Either I'm going to die or he's going to die. And that's all I can emotionally handle right now. I feel like that's where Max is at.
1: Yes. And which is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, you need companionship. That's... It's half of the reason why we have the social family structure that we do Mm -hmm. is for companionship. So no matter how broken he is on the inside, he's still human. He still needs that same companionship that everybody else in the world
0: craves. Plus, dogs are really useful to have because they're excellent companion animals. That dog probably helps him forage for food, probably helps warn him of danger, keep watch. Yep. Like, there's a symbiotic relationship that they can foster between the two of them. So... It just makes sense that when they come to this point that they can kind of just look at each other and kind of understand what's going on. Yes. Just a boy and his dog, (laughs) but not a boy and his dog. That's another movie altogether. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think after this we see that the buggy and the car kind of rejoin the chase. I think the buggy is still off on the side of the road though, correct?
0: Yeah, the buggy is still driving off in the curb, and I don't know if they were set too far back curving around the uh the wreckage, but yeah, they've definitely I, caught up by this point.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think going through that wreckage really cost them a ton of time. No,
0: not really. And I mean, especially now that Max isn't using the supercharger to yeah get yeah, they, that extra horsepower they
1: catch up right quick
0: yeah so max is looking in his side mirrors and he's kind of keeping an eye on them and you can see that the motorcycle on one side and the landau on the other are starting to just come up on either side of them they're gonna flank him yes that's the the big maneuver that they're gonna pull because when you outnumber someone three to one that's you what you do him. Yeah. It's just smart. So we're looking across this kind of POV shot across the motorcycle that's coming up on Max's left side. And this motorcycle guy is a Raider that we're going to come to know very well. His name is Wes, but we don't actually get a good look at him until Tuesday. We had to take a moment and actually see, okay, where do we get the hero shot? For Wes, and it's tomorrow. tomorrow, So so. we'll go through Vernon Wells and everything like that then.
1: I like these POV shots from Wes's point of view because it sets up the tension. Mm -hmm. Like, we know that Max is a very skillful driver and he's going to get himself out of this. And it's, and you know, anybody who's watched an action movie or a car chase movie knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to slam on the brakes. Yeah but we still have to build the tension of the scene. So seeing it from the point of view of the motorcycle driver you see that that they are getting up into position and if something's going to happen it needs to happen like now. Like yeah. It's time for something to happen.
0: And motorcycles are not big vehicles that are easy to see. I mean there's a reason you drive around everywhere and you see those bumper stickers that say watch out for motorcycles. It's because they can very easily get into people's blind spots. And from where we're sitting on that motorcycle with Wes like he's pretty much in Max's blind spot. He's just sneaking up on that window.
1: Which is a very intelligent place to be.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And we get a really good shot of his little, like, arm-mounted crossbow. Yes. There are so many interesting weapons in this movie. And I think what surprises me most about it is how few firearms there are.
1: Yeah. Because I'm thinking about, like, bullets and black powder. Those are things that need to be manufactured. Mm -hmm. And once a gun is manufactured, if you take care of it, it'll last you, like, forever. Yeah. And... A crossbow can be made and maintained without manufacturing, especially out of salvaged bits and pieces of metal. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense that they've, like, reverted almost to medieval weaponry.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Fury Road kind of solved that issue by creating some place called the bullet farm that just all the bullets magically come from so you yeah. can have all the guns and whatnot. But I like this just because it just feels more real.
1: Right. It's more creative. Exactly. They, we, we've we already been through what society is like. We know that there just aren't any resources. They have to get creative.
0: Mm-hmm. And I just love the look of it because it's got, you know, it's a tiny, like take a regular size crossbow, shrink it down, put it on your wrist. But then there's also like a, an easy cocking mechanism that he can just grab and in one fluid motion it'll pull the string back and then latch it. And I'm not sure how he necessarily fires it. He must have some sort of thing where he like flexes it, his wrist and it lets go of the, the string. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a nifty little doodad, for sure. Not,
1: yeah, it, it, it seems very effective.
0: Not something you want to give a child. Certainly not. But... <laughs> 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 like fun but not like bring it to a family gathering and let the nephews could, play with um, it you
1: could um you could make one that shoots nerf darts
0: i say that would be a bit more family friendly
1: yeah that would be a lot of fun <laughs> Actually, because it it does look like a fun weapon. Mm-hmm.
0: When I think of that type of wrist-mounted weaponry, it kind of reminds me of I think Black Widow from the Marvel comics, like her gauntlet things. Mm-hmm. Instead of being all electrified, like in the movies, I think they actually shoot guns or something like that out oh. of those little pods on her so wrist.
1: It's also a gun.
0: It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anytime we make a reference of oh, what's also a gun, that's from uh, an online company called Rooster Teeth. They make a production called Ruby. I highly recommend checking it out because it is pure mayhem and everything in that show just also happens to be a gun.
1: Yes. So moving on, kind of where were we?
0: So that wrist-mounted crossbow is not the only weapon we see in this minute. No. There's another one that's being produced from inside the Landau. There's someone in the passenger seat of that vehicle that's not a bad cop. It's You can't really see them that well because it mostly focuses on their hand and the weapon that they're holding.
1: Yes. Now, from the screenplay, we get a little bit about this weapon. It is a brutal gas-powered, in quotations, gun... Um, the heads of six metal arrows protrude from a big barrel. The weapon is a port pack Okay. So it's a portable pack of arrows. <laughs> when they say, in quotations, gas-powered gun, I wonder if they mean like an air gas. I
0: kind of feel like that's what they're going for.
1: So it's more like a potato gun.
0: Or a nerf gun. Or a nerf gun. Yeah, just a straight-up nerf gun. I mean, gun.
1: all or- you gotta do is accelerate a sharp object towards your target mm-hmm. fast enough that once it reaches it, it pierces the skin or whatever. And that's all you need.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if they've got engines galore, you got to know they have air compressors somewhere. And if you yeah. have an air compressor, you can put that air in a tank and you just run an airline into the back of a tube like that. And as long as your little arrows have something that'll catch the air the right way, like, uh, I mean, as long as there's something in that tube behind the arrows to force them out and some way to keep the arrows straight like if they pack that tube with the compressed air behind it with like a potato and then you put all the arrows in front of the potato and you blast all that compressed air out of the tube well that potato is going to push all the arrows out and as long as the arrows are well made enough they're going to fly relatively straight yeah but i have a feeling with how they're packed in that tube straight's not their biggest concern i think their biggest concern is delivering as many little crossbow bolts as they can into something
1: (laughs) yeah i i don't know how it actually came out in the movie because it kind of happens fast but in the screenplay it says there are six arrows
0: mm-hmm. i didn't actually count yeah six arrows
1: and it actually itemizes where the arrows go two arrows thud into the black car three go astray and one hits wes in the arm so yeah accuracy may not be the most important thing it's a spread
0: mm-hmm. well that's the lovely thing about shotgun style weapons is right you, kind you don't of...
1: need to be so accurate yeah
0: you paint your target And you know, with nice calm strokes and unfortunately the guy who has this pipe weapon doesn't get to do a nice easy stroke because Max Catches on to what's happening. Yes. He sees the Landau on the one side. He glances over and he sees Wes on the other. And his answer for that is to do exactly like you said he should do. He lurches as he slams on the brake and the Landau and the motorcycle just keep going. (laughs) Yes. And to make up for the fact that Max has stopped, the guy with the air cannon turns quickly and tries to, to catch him and like the screenplay says
1: one hits wes in the arm
0: yeah a little bit of friendly fire there yeah and so wes i wouldn't say that like he like screams or cries out
1: he reacts
0: he reacts and, and he goes off the road
1: he veers away yeah like he doesn't like go off the road it's very controlled but he realizes oh i have been injured i can't go on in this condition under these circumstances yeah. i'm going to get off the road.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say that his reaction is any more than just an acknowledgement that he was hit with a bolt cuz Yeah. He like his expression is just like, "Oh, well, you know, I need to remove myself like you said and tend to this because my effectiveness has suddenly gone down."
1: Yes. Like, when you have an arrow in your arm, it makes it hard to grip. And that was his right arm, which is his gas arm.
0: Mm-hmm. So... So, Wes pulls off to the side, and the Landau starts to slow down. But not before Max, who is behind him now pulls the knob on the supercharger, gets that blower spinning up and accelerates right into the back of the Landau.
1: Oh yeah, he rams him with all he's got. And I found this really interesting. I was a little disappointed at first that he turned on the supercharger because we just talked about how he had to turn it off because he had low fuel Hmm. well now he has to rely on his skill to get him out of the situation well then he turns right back around and turns on the supercharger but part of skill is knowing when to use what resources you do have
0: exactly
1: and it's not like he had no fuel he just had low fuel so he had enough to turn on the supercharger strategically turn on the supercharger ram this guy and that was really all he needed Yeah. It's pretty much over after that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much a difference between being pursued and being the pursuer. Yes. Like, he flipped the script.
1: Yes, which I really appreciate that he did, because way back sometime during Mad Max 79... I went off on a theory that in a chase, the, the second car has more power, has more control over the situation than the first car. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a weak theory, but I've always, I've stood by it. Like in my head, I've thought about it since then. I'm like, no, I really feel like I was right. And this, this supports that. The, the second car in this, in this chase, the second car had more power than the first car. I remember and that And was conversation. able to control the situation and get the result that he needed.
0: Yeah. I think my argument for that was that the lead car has the ability to direct where the chase goes... But your major argument was pretty much the one that's made in this clip where the, the where the second car is able to act on the first car more yeah. effectively than vice versa.
1: Yeah, I think the first car in making decisions on where to go is reacting to stress and panic while the second car is reacting to what the first car is doing.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where is it better to in a Wild West duel draw your gun first or fire your gun first like which one is better and I, I feel like there's an argument either way I'm kind of reaching for a metaphor for this one but <laughs> you get where I'm going at like you could go either way when it comes to like what is more quote unquote effective yeah so Max has smashed into the back of the landau and the bad cop inside is like oh no he's right behind me he's like turning around and trying to see what's going on panicking
1: yeah it's funny because he crashed not not because max rear-ended him but because he allowed that rear-ending to distract him so much like he turned around like bodily turned around to see matt to look at max behind him which took his eyes off the road for quite a bit of time he smashed into the buggy.
0: Yeah, I feel like... If you can get one lesson from the Mad Max movies. Don't take your
1: eyes off the road.
0: Keep your eyes on the road ahead of you. Glance into your mirrors. Check, you know, your side mirrors. Check your blind spots. Obviously, but for the most part, don't turn around and look behind you. Toe Cutter did that and he rode straight into the front of an 18-wheeler.
1: He spent what little maneuvering time he had turning around to look at Max. Yeah,
0: he spent the whole time looking back over his shoulder instead of keeping an on what was coming over the hills yes this bad cop guy literally just turned around physically looking at max and then the buggy comes up from the side of the road just decides at that point oh it's time for me to get back in this race and so by the time bad cop whips his head back around kapow they smash yeah spectacularly together now
1: do we really get to see like the aftermath of the buggy we do okay in the next minute in or or is it in this minute i just didn't notice it
0: it's either in tomorrow's minute or the minute after okay like we're going to see the buggy tomorrow but i think wednesday might be a little bit more of it okay i'm trying to think ahead and i can't yeah cuz <laughs> can't be sure the, 100%
1: as we're watching this crash we follow the landau that flips side oh, over side oh yeah
0: I'm not quite sure how how it happens. The Landau smashes into the rear axle of the buggy. The buggy kind of spins and scatters and whatnot. Right. But the Landau just kind of tilts in such a way that it just doesn't make necessarily sense to me.
1: Right. It's definitely it's definitely movie magic because we already saw the Landau in in the the wreckage from the last minute, like hit some hit part of the wreckage and kind of clumsily maneuver around the other one and recover pretty well
0: yeah and the buggy is is like nothing it's not a small car yeah and you would think a burnt out frame would be about the same weight as a buggy
1: yeah I, i i would expect the landau to be able to hit the buggy and come out the other side at least on all four wheels
0: yeah i feel like there was probably something in the road that hitting the buggy. And then hitting something else because, you know, they're right up against a giant tractor-trailer truck yes, there is, sitting on the there side of the road. there is
1: stuff around.
0: So there must have been something that the Landau hit to pop it up on its wheel and then just start it rolling. Yeah. And oh my gosh, it rolls like two or three times before it finally just lands on its roof.
1: Yes. And it's
0: like, oh, that's rough. So
1: You say that with a giant grin.
0: i Yeah, yeah course and it's pretty Because it's, pretty it's awesome
1: <laughs> and this is another another instance of this final crash that finishes up the the action scene being the driver's own fault yeah he did it to himself uh it was inevitable i mean that's what max was going for it's not like oh interesting comparison it's not like the knight rider crash where max Max's aim was to arrest this man. Right. He didn't want to kill him. He he got out of the car and headed back towards the explosion just as much out of concern like, "Oh, that man just exploded." Yeah. As like, you know, copness. I I want well, crap. I wanted to arrest that man. That is not how it goes down here.
0: No. He The crash
1: happens, everything like is still and Max goes back. He he stops the car, reverses it back to the scene and gets out of the car. And okay, I have to admit, when I first saw this scene, like for a split second, I still had old school Max on the brain. Yeah. So at first I thought he was going to see if there was anybody who needed help.
0: (laughs) Nope. And then I'm like, oh,
1: wait no <laughs> yeah.
0: we're gonna see specifically what he's getting out of the car to do tomorrow
1: yes but but it's not help
0: yeah he cra- he sees everything crash and it's nice because you can actually see max driving around the landau as it's crashing it's not like when toe cutter died where max just kind of disappeared for a while and okay. then reappeared up up the road yes we actually see max drive by and he he's- slows down and checks behind him okay it's it's good to check behind you when you're stopped. Like, if you're not actively driving forward on the highway, then you can turn around and
1: look right. you. Take all the time you need to make sure there's nobody behind you.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, and then he just throws it in reverse. And not only reverses, but then kind of, like, parks the car, mm-hmm. dog hops out, and we see one of his boots as the door opens. Boot hits the pavement. So, he's got unfinished business with these guys.
1: Yep. He is not done. Um... I also want to point out that we get a really good look at the body of the car and it is quite the worst for wear.
0: Yeah. It hasn't aged well in uh, living in the wasteland.
1: It is no longer the black on black. It's just, it's not black anymore. (laughs) It's dirt and rust colored.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: it's so, it's just so symbolic. I feel like I'm just going to keep pointing it out that the black on black is Max. And that it's no longer part of the police force, just like Max is no longer part of the police force. It's it's no longer it no longer has this this clean black exterior of it of a uniform of a police officer. Mm -hmm. And neither does Max. So the symbolism is just so heavy with the car that I need to like pull myself back. Yeah. Like I, I can't keep explaining the symbolism over and over again
0: i mean the nice thing about the the interceptor is that it does hang around for a while and we get to talk a lot about it so yeah i mean we're not going to get tired of that for sure (laughs) this was a fun little minute
1: it was i appreciate that this action sequence that was a lot of fun was short yeah. I remember when we did the Knight Rider sequence, I felt like that was the whole movie. That was like It was the like first 2 weeks.
0: 2 weeks of our podcast was just was, talking about Night Rider. It Chase. was
1: very long and it was exciting and fun and interesting, but I do appreciate that this one was only like a minute and a half long. Mm-hmm. So, I liked it.
0: Yeah, a great reintroduction to Max and we're only going to get to know him better as the minutes wear on because i think
1: next minute we're going to get to know some very interesting things about max i'm really looking forward to analyzing that
0: Mm -hmm. so yeah we'll catch up with that tomorrow yes the Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com.
1: You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone and at MadMaxMinute.com.
0: Please remember to rate and review the podcast on itunes and share on social media to help others find the show
1: thank you for joining us for minute number six of the road warrior we'll see you tomorrow